see the world breaking and falling apart. And I don't know what to do with it. What to do with it? I see hate building up all of these walls. Turns family into enemies. What do we do with it? So we'll start this morning by reading the gospel assigned for this day. Uh, as I said, it's still uh, Easter morning in John's gospel uh, in the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, uh, Easter, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. So, a very rich passage, uh, and I didn't contemplate the passage as preparation to preach, but even as I read it now, things jump out at me. For instance, uh, they on Easter evening are afraid, as one would imagine. Jesus has been violently uh, and shamefully crucified in this public uh, execution. They are closely identified with him. Uh, so, there's good reason for them to believe they may well be next. So even though the faithful women who were at the tomb in the morning have come back with news that he is not in the tomb, he has been raised, he goes ahead of you, as he had said, into Galilee, there you will see him. Even though all of this has taken place, the disciples are locked away in some house somewhere, blinds drawn, doors locked, they're terrified. What are they talking about in there? You know? They've got to feel just terrible about themselves. And along comes the risen Christ. 
does not scold, does not reprimand uh, for their unbelief, though he had spoken to them clearly and plainly several times, saying to expect this very thing. He wishes upon them, blesses them with peace. My peace I give to you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Uh, and, and then the next thing we hear is what? Where are they? Jesus blessed them, forgave them. The risen Christ is standing in their midst, frees them from their shame, forgives them, gives them the Holy Spirit, sends them back out, and a week later, where do we find them? They're back in the house. That's what just occurred to me now when I, I've never preached that particular reality. So every time we open the scriptures, I think they're not, you cannot plumb the depths. They're back in the house. What's Jesus going to say when he shows up this time? Are you kidding? Yeah, right? I mean, still? And yet, again, peace be with you. And how, how can that not be good news for us? Huh? Uh, how can that not be good news for us? So there's just a rich cast of characters in this particular passage, implied uh, in the passage. You know, everybody who was a part of that crucifixion, uh, everybody who's wrapped up in the dawning of this good news of the resurrection uh, and the closest followers of Jesus uh, and, and the risen Christ himself. So here we are. Uh, 2,000 years later, uh, in the presence of the same Spirit that Jesus breathed onto those followers and sent them out with the message of His good news. Had they not gone eventually, had they not found their way out of that locked house, you and I are not here this morning. And the crowds were not here on Easter morning. But here we are. Uh, and so it's good for us to spend some time, we believe, to pause and just spend some time in discussion, doing what, what we call public theology, just reasoning through the faith together. Maybe you have some questions about, uh, about Easter itself or, or some other question related to the faith. Uh, and so this is a good time, just because, because I promise you, if you have the question, uh, several others do as well. So, uh, well, uh, uh, Nick can throw up the timer, I think, if you have a timer there, Nick, so we can kind of keep track of where we are. Uh, yep, uh, time goes fast when we get into these discussions. Brent has uh, volunteered to be uh, carrying the microphone around, so off <laughs> off we go. Anything's fair game. All right, good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's keep going with that story. Um, I'm always interested, as much as I'm interested in the heroes, I'm also interested in the in the villain. Uh, or the villains, or the perceived villains, if you will. Um, so I'm curious about why they're so stuck in that house. What are they truly afraid of? What were the forces? Sometimes we like to say, oh, Judas is the villain, or oh, Pontius Pilate is the villain, or um, clearly there's some political movements there that are really powerful. So um, I'm wondering if you um, could talk about that a little bit more of the story. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and you know Jesus is ultimately crucified as a uh, an insurrectionist, as a as a political uh, threat. You know, um, the the coinage said Caesar is Lord, and you got ever growing crowds of people running around this itinerant Jewish rabbi saying Jesus is Lord. You can't have that. 
And so to be identified with him and that movement is is clearly still dangerous, even after his death. Will his death finally disperse his followers and end this political threat, if we just take it at that level? That question isn't answered yet, the evening of the resurrection. And his disciples know it. You know, we looked at um, several stories of, of folks like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who, who at an earlier time really felt uh, drawn to Jesus, but were also aware of the sort of danger to their own reputations and of, of being identified with him. So there's, there's that sort of political aspect of being identified with one who is contrary to uh, the, 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 the ruling kingdom. Um, but there's also, I think, an aspect of Jesus has has disappointed everybody's expectations, maybe especially his closest followers. I mean, people really started to believe that this Jesus could break the back of the Roman oppressors who were occupying the Holy Land and oppressing the Jewish people and, and an abomination to the faithful uh, in, that, in that place. So even his closest followers right up close to the end are asking questions like, hey Jesus, uh, let, let, uh, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left when you come into your glory. You know, they're thinking that this, this movement has such steam. You know, Jesus entered the city with crowds waving palm branches and crying Hosanna. So I think his disciples are so disappointed they just can't see it. What was this all about? It all looks like such an abject failure. What do we do? I mean, what was this all about? He's gone now. So now we're in danger and we don't even know what to do next. What if, if, if the Romans are coming for us next, what, what are we going to die for? What are we standing up for? I think everybody's expectations are so devastated, including the disciples that just going to hunker. And, and I, I don't think this is an uncommon human reaction to, to that level of disappointment, confusion. I think the church does it still. I think the church struggles with the same thing in this moment. We hunker down and close in. The world around us is changing so quickly and fast. We'll just stay in this with our crew because I don't know about those I don't know what's happening. And everything feels too out of control. At least, at least in here we can control the way we do things and keep everything in order. And I think we still struggle with this. I think that's, I think the expectations being disappointed is at least part of what keeps them still in that house in addition to the danger. It's a good question. You could spend the whole time on that. What he said is fine. What am I going to add to that? It's always good if the next question comes from the opposite side of the room because we love to watch Prince. Prince. <laughs> Continuing a little bit with with this theme, we as a, a church and the Bible, it, we sort of 
um, talk about Judas and um, the Jews crucifying Jesus. But isn't that wasn't that God's plan all along? And dun, so dun, dun. how come we have not, over the centuries, been able to sort of recognize that this is this was God's plan, and it wasn't. Um, we wouldn't have been saved if Jesus hadn't been crucified. I'm not going to blather on again, but I do. I, that that very question. Uh, how many of you watched uh, Jesus Christ Superstar on Easter afternoon? Yeah, doesn't the the Judas character in that play really makes that point? Look, Lord, this has to happen. You know it has to happen. I'm I'm. I am doing God's will and you know it. I mean, that uh, far, far beyond where we, we get that sort of uh, spelled out that clearly in the scriptures. But that I was struck by that when I was watching that that afternoon. Oh, I, I remember the first time in seminary I read Karl Barth and he talked about how before before anything else happened, the creation of the world, there was Jesus, which is why we talk about the Alpha and Omega, right? That Jesus is the beginning and the end. God is the beginning and the end. They're, they are one and the same. And how that was in place long before anything else happened. And I remember just being like, wait, what? And like not catching that that, I think the way I was sort of raised was like, we were created and then we were bad and we kept on trying all these systems that failed and so then God finally sent us Jesus. Like that was sort of the end, like, okay, you guys fail at everything, so I'm going to do this other thing. This is my last resort so we don't have to do all this rest of this stuff. And to think that God's initial plan included the salvation of the world before God created the world is kind of a, it's a huge theological question to spend time in and and uh and really can mess with your theology a bit if you spend time there um i think it's hard uh, uh to reconcile like the suffering and death of of god as like a a part of the story that had to happen i always you know the pacifist in me always <laughs> always wishes for another way and i sort of feel like even those last moments in the garden or Jesus being like, if there's any other way, like, let's do the other thing. Um, and that that sort of humanity of Jesus in that moment to me is is relatable in that that's how I feel about God in this moment as well. That, that like, is there another way? Is there another way that, that we don't kill God to save the world? Like, is there a better way than this? And I think God's continual answer is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go as far, the worst it's going to get to show you how much you know, I to show you how far I'm willing to go to save the world. That's just a hard, because I think human-wise, we would we'd be like, oh yeah, I would I would totally die for my kid, but I don't know if I would die for, you know, the neighbor I don't like, you know, like I don't know, right? Did she point at me? No, I didn't. <laughs> He's not my neighbor. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Don't put me in that test. Um, yeah, so uh, so I think that's, that is a, a difficult, I mean, it's a really hard question, Alan, but I also think like that's a, it's a, a way for us to sort of reconcile how we are not God, right? And how we, there are some things we call it the great mystery for a reason because we just can't fathom that kind of sacrifice or that kind of love or that kind of, ultimate sort of plan because we can't see that way and we can't understand that way 
Um, and I think, I mean, Paul talks about that a lot, right? Like, I might, I might die for a good person. Like, I'm, I might do that. But I don't know if I could die for a, a bad person. Like, oof. That's a harder thing to think about. I don't know if that's I, and I, an I, I think or it not relates answer. back to the, the, you know, the question about villains. You know, I think, I think there is a sense that we, we like to have a villain in a story. And so we have <laughs> villainized Judas in this regard. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's good for us to consider the ways that all of the disciples and, of course, us as well, have fallen short and betrayed Christ. Uh, you know, the, the, we, 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 again, we, you know, Judas, Judas plays that unique role and part of the question I think revolves around, well, that, that was sort of preordained by God. This is, this is how things were going to happen. And yet, uh, <clears throat> you know, there is the, the, the reality that we all, uh, in, betray and, and sin. Uh, and was that preordained? Is that, I mean, but there's a kind of brokenness to uh, the fallen nature that we speak of in our theology that affects all creation and groans for the day of God's redemption. So we often say that God is about redeeming uh, and saving and forgiving. So that extends to all of us. And on on that, I think Jesus didn't, Jesus would have been killed without Judas. I mean, I, Judas was uh, a quicker way that it happened, uh, that they were able to use you know, somebody from inside his own crew um, to make it happen. But I, if he wouldn't have done it, they would have gotten him any. I mean, I, I, I think they would have gotten him anyway. I had a, a friend. I don't know what I what I think about this, but we often sort of think of Judas as like the ultimate betrayer, and he knew he was so guilty that right that the story is in scripture that he went and killed himself right because he because um, of what he had done. And I had a friend say. The only reason he did that was because he didn't believe he was within the realm of God, that he was included in the realm of God's forgiveness. And if he had been in that room, Jesus would have forgiven him too. And I was just like, that that to me is so beautiful to think of that upper room and that moment where they're all locked away in fear and in shame and Jesus comes in peace for everyone in that room who left him alone, who denied him, who walked away Um and they're feeling, I feel like if Jesus comes in the middle of that room, your first response is shame, right? Your just first response is, oh my gosh. It just, you know, Peter just, I imagine Peter not being on like eye contact. And I sort of picture that scene if Judas is in there and how he would, he would not be able to handle it. And that I, God's forgiveness, if we believe that it covers all, I believe Judas would have been included in that, um, which is really hard. For people to say, because we love that villain character, and we're like, you killed God, you should die, right? You should be buried under the weight of your guilt. And I think those of us who have things that we feel buried under the weight of our own guilt for, I think there is some some redemption in knowing that that Judas's maybe ultimate sin was that he didn't believe he was worthy. And I think that's really powerful and a different perspective on on him than we often get in the movie. I think just to wrap this up, that Alan's question also is is uh, asking the the sort of other 
deeper question, which is, you know, it says they were locked away for fear of the Jews, and and uh, we uh, looking for villains. The there uh, throughout history, uh, there has been some tendency to blame the Jews for the death of Christ, which is uh, when 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 they're when when we hear that they're locked away for fear of the Jews, they're locked away for fear of of the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the temple priests, the, the, the religious elite, the hierarchy of the faith, which is to say people like me and bishops and, and those who kind of hold sway over the people because they have religious influence. That's who they were afraid of because Jesus was a threat to their authority. It's got nothing to do with the, the heritage of the Jewish people, which have been scapegoated uh, in this regard by certain segments of the Christian tradition over the years. So to the extent that I think Alan was after that question, you hear that language, especially in John's Gospel, and some translations work to, to broaden it so that people hear, uh, you know, Jewish, Jewish leaders, leaders or which that we said on Good Friday. If you were here Good Friday, we we did say Jewish leaders and not Jews. Good Friday intentionally that day for that very reason. Do you see Samba way in the back? I Why see, do you, I see you, Samba? Just talk really. Why close. do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> Basic Christian question. She said, "Why do bad things happen to good people?" Do they? <laughs> I want to know why good things happen to bad people. That's my more important question. Man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have the same question. I see it all the time, constantly. Bad things happening to good people. I mean, in our Lutheran theology, we, we, we are very clear that the world is not set up as a cause and effect behavior consequences sort of way. So we, we of all folks who sound a note in the chorus of Christendom, we do not believe that it is our good behavior that causes God's love or favor on our lives. Oh, nor is it our bad behavior that tells, you know, that causes God to be done with us all together. Quite to the contrary, contrary, we are all part uh, of the community of the called and forgiven. So, um, when when bad things happen to good people, which we see all the time, uh, while we we wish it were not so, and part of us in that question wishes God would have set the world up the way we would have had we been in charge, <laughs> where everybody would get what they have coming. At least we think that. At least we think that. Until we carefully examine our own lives and we look at the ledger in our checkbook to see how (laughs) generous we actually are. And we check out the labels on our clothing to see where they were made and whether we saved a few bucks because some child laborer in China or some other country in a sweatshop made that. So that I could save so many. And as soon as we think we wish the world lined up this way, good stuff happens to good people and bad people get thrown in jail or get sick or get the diseases. We, this, this very, this question very quickly unravels when we take a good hard look at ourselves, an honest look. 
so then the question maybe uh, can be tempered <laughs> by why, why do such such good things happen to bad people? Or when bad things happen to good people, my question is after many, many, many years in this line of work, how in the world do people find the faith and the compassion and and the love to speak such words of grace and encouragement even in the midst of terrible things happening to them. On Easter Sunday, I shared just a glimpse into the experience of three couples who were married, each of them, for over 60 years and eventually died and not, you know, they died in an order. First this one, then that one, then this one, then that one. And to a person, each of these people, as they suffered through the illnesses and the old age that finally brought the end of their pilgrimage in earth, spoke words of love and compassion and thankfulness and encouragement to those they knew were going to miss them so deeply. How is that possible? How can people struggling with even their own death find words of love and compassion and gratefulness? So, some questions we can't answer, but there are always uh, other questions we should ask as well. I th- can I can I add to that? The, I think one of the simplest, it's not the best response because that's a, a deep question. But life is hard. God is good, right? So that just keep that mantra in your head. Like we, part of our Lutheran theology says, like the world is not as it should be, and we see that, and we acknowledge it, and we live in the brokenness, and we live in the hard parts, and our our sort of call is to join with God in in making it not so hard, right? But we still see, you know, we we want the good, like somebody gets cancer and our first, you know, or somebody dies young and we say, well, what, what did they die from? And they're like, oh, it was a heart attack. Well, were they healthy? Did they eat okay? Did they exercise? Like we want to know that there was a reason for why that thing happened, right? We want to be able to answer it. So then essentially what we're doing is saying, well, I... I exercise and I, I eat pretty well, so that's not going to happen to me. I mean, all those questions of wanting to know why this happens is to, to sort of make sure we're okay, right? And the reality is, like, none of us are worthy of the life we're given and none of us are know how much time we have left and that is scary. And so we go to answers instead of trying to sit in the the sort of uncomfortableness of not having all the answers. And I think... Uh, if instead we just say, oh man, life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. That mantra to me is a good reminder of, it's not life is good. You know, all those shirts that are like, life is good. And you're like, yeah, that's actually not true. Life can be good. I mean, there's moments where we all are living our best life. And then there are moments where we're like, this life sucks and it's hard and it should not be like this. And we see those moments and we sit in them and we're like, yeah, if you've been at the bedside of a loved one dying or watched somebody get bad news or sat with somebody in their grief, you know life is not good in those moments. But God is good even when life is hard. And so that's sort of that faith that we hold on to even when we kind of feel the rest of things crumbling around us. So bad stuff is just the way of the world and it's random and that's scary so we like to assign answers and instead we just say no it's our joy to join in the brokenness and help heal the world uh and if you help make somebody's life better then 
you've done the work of God. And I think that's really beautiful. I, too, <clears throat> excuse me, watched uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and was reminded again that Pontius Pilate did not think Jesus deserved to be killed, and yet he, he allowed that to happen. And that also happened with John the Baptist. They found no guilt in him, and yet he died. And I think that's an interesting subject of possibly free will. <laughs> oh, you brought up the two words that will get this guy. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how those two relate to an under, what you mean by Brent, the mic, please. Yeah. They were both innocent and yet they were killed. You mean Jesus and John the Baptist? No, when Pilate you know, and John the Baptist's head was brought to yeah, yeah. whoever. And then in this case, Pontius Pilate did not think Jesus deserved to die. And yet, in both cases, they did. So what's okay. that got? I, I, my question, I'm not sure how that relates to free will. Well, Pontius Pilate had the opportunity to not kill Jesus. Oh, yeah. sure. And yet he went ahead, he said to the uh, prisoner, you will free this prisoner instead. Was that Barabbas? Yeah. yeah. We'll free Barabbas instead of Jesus, thinking he would pacify the crowd. And they didn't. And so he said, oh, let's crucify him. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, yeah, they both had chances to 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 step out. I I think uh, fear is a powerful motivator, and they were, you know, when you're when you're in a system that's just moving along and trucking along. I think, I mean, I think we can all relate to the moment where you do something and it spirals kind of out of your control, and you're like, well, I. I mean, think of when you were younger and you told a lie and then you had to tell another lie to make up for that lie and then you had to tell another lie to make up for the two lies you already told and then it just all of a sudden snowballs into this big thing. I mean, I'm not excusing what they did, but on the other hand, we've all been in those positions where the system sort of just moves you along and you participate in it even though you know you shouldn't, right? Like Chad said, you buy a shirt because you save a couple of bucks and somewhere in the back of your head you're like, I wonder why this shirt is so cheap, right? Like, there's a little question that asks in your head there. But you do it anyway, because you're like, wow, five bucks off, sweet. You know, I mean, I think we just, we're just in, we don't always take the time to think about the system that's sort of propelling us forward. I don't know if that helps in your question at all or not, but I don't know if that is free will more than just being a part of a broken <laughs> system. And yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, we're always it. making decisions that have consequences, and in those two cases, well, in one case anyway, in Pilate, but had Pilate not freed Barabbas and not washed his hands of Jesus, and uh, did, would that have removed the threat that Jesus was to the p political class or the religious elites? No, nothing would have changed uh, in in that regard. So, is it, it, we, we have no reason to believe that things wouldn't have played out 
just with different characters playing different roles uh, as as uh, God willed it. Um, in in John the Baptist case, uh, an innocent man was was killed uh, because he represented a threat to somebody's power. It's usually always what it's about. Um, and in the in in the divine drama of God's salvation, there's a lot of that treachery that takes place. Um, would it have happened differently had different players in the drama of salvation made different decisions? I'm not sure. Uh, um, does that mean we can change the trajectory of God's uh, uh, eschatology, God's ultimate plan for humanity, or, you know, just for me, Chad, uh, with my decisions that I make? No, I, I don't think so. I think God has something in mind for me that I have very little to do with. And in the end, I'm quite certain I am going to be deeply appreciative of that fact. Do you think we, it's nine? We could take another. Do you want to go to Samba? Go to Samba. He had his hand. Yeah, He's been we, holding we that arm up minutes. back there 22. for like 20 We're, minutes. Yeah. We see you. we got to baptize someone at the next service, so they're not going to get this extra five, five minutes. <laughs> <clears throat> Nick, you can put another five up there. We'll be okay. Uh, you know the story about Samuel and his master and how God is trying to call him and he thinks it's his master? How come that doesn't happen anymore? Like, how come I never get called by God? I don't hear it. That's a great question. Did everybody hear that? Nods, nods, okay. So how come people don't get as uh, blatantly clear call from God? Like, you can actually... You don't hear a voice going, Samba, Samba! Yeah. Right, yeah. (laughs) I, I'm not ruling out that it, that that does happen for some people. If you think of it, even in the scriptures, from beginning to end, the whole canon of scripture, that happens extremely rarely. Just a few instances. Uh, so, it, you know, the same question could have been a- asked in those days, if you will. Uh, so I'm not ruling out that it happens to... Uh, People today. Do you know if you were here on Easter, one of the people I spoke of was John Flayhart, who who was an usher on my first morning at St. Matthew's and came up to me and said, Pastor, my wife Anne is dying. Could you please come and see us? Anne did die some months after that, and some years after that, John died. And while John was dying, in the midst of dying, and I was with him. He was saying to me, Pastor, I see a big red button. And God says if I press it, I can go and be with Anne. And I didn't know what to tell him. (laughs) He was kind of asking my permission to press the button. And I knew he really, really wanted to. So I said, John, I think you should press the button. And I have to say that that guy I knew was getting as clear a call from God as Samuel did in the Bible. So I'm not going to rule out that that still happens. 
hasn't happened for me except in sort of one way removed uh, as I've witnessed people have sort of mystically close encounters with the presence of God. I mean, I've had my own moments, not like that, but I've never heard like woke up and I kind of hope I don't. I'm not sure, (laughs) you know, like in the middle of the night, Chad, Chad, I'm just going to think, you know, the house is on fire or something. I don't know, but. That's a cool, cool question. But I want to just hold out the, the, the possibility that it can happen. And that it is no less profound or meaningful that God does in fact break through because Christ in the night in which he was betrayed gave uh, this gift to the church. So this is my body given for you. And Martin Luther teaches us that in those words for you, you ought to hear it as though God himself is speaking it. So we get our own sort of glimpses of of the foretaste to come with sort of palpable presence of God in the sacraments and in the way we commune together and are receiving the Holy Spirit so that like those disciples locked away, we too can be sent out. So that's great, great questions. We could go on and this is how quickly the time goes. Um, I should tell you that a group is planning to get together at Omni Brewing in Maple Grove up the road a bit after the, after the second service. service to continue the conversation. I, I think Natalia's gonna be there, I'll be there. So if you wanna, if you have a question you didn't get to, you can join us there and uh, we'll continue the conversation. But thank very you again, to this ask is very, over beer very unique that we're able to do this. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, and it's always, I think, a fruitful conversation. So thanks for that, uh, we'll continue.